Hello and welcome back to the Everyone's A Football Critic Podcast with me, Zach, and as always, my co-host, Callum. How are you doing, Callum? I'm not bad, not bad. Been enjoying lots of football. Unfortunately, not going to get to see the games today, but hopefully watch the rest of this final game week that's to come. How are you doing? What, what on earth is keeping you away from the football screen? That'll be five-a-side once again, I'm afraid. Oh, it's a Sunday. So, so real-life football does trump screen it's football, unfortunately. What time, what time do you play five-a-side? It varies. It's like church half five till seven, and then five-a-side sometime after that. So it's Tragic. just like... Tragic. I think that Italy-Wales game is going to be a good one, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. But, alas, a... oh well. <laughs> as long as Italy battered them, that's all. That... Okay, yeah, you don't like the home nations, <laughs> do you? Um, no, well, they. my attitude towards the home nations is, I'm not... I, I was fairly indifferent, but they, like, they celebrate us going out of stuff, so I don't... Re- like, they have, like, parties celebrating when England, like, get knocked out. I don't really see why I should be supporting them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Each to their own. I, I, I personally can't help like Wales just a little bit. Um, right, anyway, we're not here to talk about Wales specifically. Uh, we're going to talk about England v Scotland. What a great game that was. And then some of the other games as well. But we'll get on to those. So England v Scotland first. Cal, what the fuck happened? <laughs> um, oh, it wasn't great, was it? We really... We didn't create a lot... Um, we've we we've been having a bit of a debate over the past couple of days about whether we whether we really did concede many big chances. But regardless, we conceded chances, and Pickford was forced into a really good save. His, by the way, his distribution during the whole match was just exquisite. That that ball he put first time on his weak foot, perfectly in front of Sterling. I like. He's, he's just the best at what he does. I just love him. And it makes me feel really happy when he consistently plays really well for England, as he always does and always has done, and sort of people still doubt him. Um, but yeah, the, the, the game was not was not great, was it? We kind of, we changed the lineup, um, which I don't think really affected it much at all, because it wasn't the, the most dissimilar performance from the Croatia game. Which was also not the best game, to be fair. But yeah, it just not not very good. <laughs> what yeah. are your thoughts? I think I, I think that's been my takeaway from the discussions that we've had and from talking to some other people as well and just having a think about the game. Is it's really funny how narratives in football can start. And I think actually the performance against Croatia and Scotland, as you said, like wasn't that dissimilar at all. I do think we were slightly better against Croatia. I do think Scotland were pro- probably quite significantly better than Croatia. Um, but largely, the pattern of the game was quite similar. And if we convert a chance and we end up winning that game 1-0, I think that the narrative surrounding it is probably a little bit more similar to the Croatia game, which is, yes, not a perfect performance, but it looks quite savvy. We managed to overcome a, a, some some challenges in that game we managed to get a result but as it happens we didn't win the game as you say Scotland Scotland did look dangerous at times yes we did disagree over how significant their chances were I think the biggest one was that um, O'Connell one which as you say Pickford made a great save that's not a very good chance but it's it's an excellent shot and it did it did force a really t- like difficult save out of Pickford and 
yeah, Pick, Pickford was good all day. Um, and it's interesting, we spoke about him like when we were talking about the squads and how he consistently plays well for England, but fairly inconsistently plays well for Everton. And it's quite interesting, but he's just continued his fine form for England, really. He's been he's been very good. And that's two clean sheets for him, and that that is a bright spark, I think. Because um, I think everyone was a bit worried about Jordan Pickford going into the tournament. And he's actually, as it turns out, been the thing we have to worry about the least. But I tipped him. I did, I'm going to gonna come out here. I did tip him as like secret favourite for the Golden Glove mm. just because of these first three games because I didn't see us conceding many during them. Yeah, you did actually say that to be honest and it is coming true because we could we could well go through the entire group stage without conceding a goal which would be great and that is the whole point of how Southgate plays. We will get onto that. It's not particularly exciting but it is sort of working in that capacity. Um, so you mentioned the lineup changes. Obviously that was the two fullbacks. Reese James came in for Carl Walker and Luke Shaw came in for Kieran Trippier. Did you think that they offered anything particularly significant extra? I think Shaw had quite a decent game, actually, down the left. He linked up. He's quite good at sort of passing, at the playing a quick one-two, sort of passing and then pushing up a bit. Um, he put a couple of decent crosses in. I don't, I don't think he really made many mistakes defensively. There weren't any howlers, certainly. Um, had a solid game. James again, I'd say fairly solid. Quite a quite a dull game from him. Not as sort of attacking and expansive as he has been for Chelsea. But I guess a lot of the time he plays for Chelsea, he's playing in a uh, on sort of the wing as the wing back in a three or a five, whatever you want to call it, which is obviously going to give you a lot more of that um, attacking stuff. I don't think he and Walker are very different players at all. I think. Walker didn't have a great game against Croatia and it was just sort of rotation for rotation. Well, not for rotation's sake, but to kind of say to Walker, you probably are our best right back on paper, but you're not. You can't just start because of that. Mm. Um, whereas Shaw was... Because James for Walker, for me, isn't remotely a tactical change, whereas Shaw for Trippier very much is. We did look... I did think we looked a bit more comfortable passing to that left side, having a left-footed player there. Because it kind of it wasn't passing and then turning straight back in. You have that option to push up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that looks a bit better. I think clearly, I think there's two reasons for the changes in the the um, fullback areas. I think one, it's just fairly sensible squad rotation from Southgate. He's got a good depth in both of those positions. Mm-hmm. It makes complete sense to rotate them in the group stage game. And as you say, you're not necessarily changing too much when you're changing um, James for Walker. Um, I think the other thing is that, obviously, he felt like we'd probably have a bit more of the ball against Scotland. And obviously, down the left-hand side, as you as you say, having Shaw, a left-footed left-back, and also someone that's actually just a very, very good left-back, significantly helped us in build-up down that side. The thing, the thing with James, I think there, I think there is a slight, or can be a slight, tactical change when you play James over Walker. And that's that James's crossing is far superior to Kyle Walker. Mm-hmm. His his end product is re- really really good, and that's what frustrated me is that all game long, Reese James seemed to refuse to cross the ball, and I think that's that's actually it, it's strange. You you, you bring Reese James in for Kyle Walker, and you think, okay, well we're going to get someone that's going to play riskier balls, better end product. But actually, it was... You got quite frustrated with Kyle Walker, I remember, from the first game against Croatia because he gave the ball away uh, on, on a few occasions. But at least he was trying 
creative passes and trying something a little bit risky. The game against Scotland, if I could sum it up, it's just risk averse. And I think Rhys James's performance perfectly encapsulates that because constantly he'd get the ball and sort of in the, just outside the sort of right half space, but in that sort of um, section of the pitch over on the right hand side, just refused to put a ball in, just cut it back in field to either, you know, Calvin Phillips or back inside to, let's say, Mason Mount. Cade was probably sat on the halfway line or something as well. So probably pass it back to him. And you just think, that's not great. But there's also just, there wasn't enough people in the box. I mean, we'll get on to talk about Harry Kane in a minute. But he wasn't, he was dropping deep but then struggling to actually arrive in the box. Mason Mount isn't the sort of 10 that's particularly tall and is going to attack a ball in the box from across, particularly. Um, and he wasn't really getting in the box enough. Obviously, this is a weakness of playing two holding midfield players as well because you don't have one of them arriving late necessarily. And Calvin Phillips struggled a lot more against Scotland to actually get into the aggressive areas of the pitch and actually um, contribute to the attacking output of the team. And then again, Sterling's the other one that might be hitting the box and he's very small as well. So unless you're sort of cutting something back, in which case he's very effective. Um, but if you're looking for Reese James to whip across in onto someone's head, if Kane's still struggling to get into the box and then you've got maybe Mount Sterling there, you're not exactly got a particularly great target. Um, and that just that that to me was bizarre. Like if you got Reese James in the squad, you want to sort of be, you want to get him some target men in the box to actually sort of hit. And we ha- we have them already in the team. I mean, get like Kane just needs to actually be a bit more aggressively on the last man and sort of just didn't do it. But on the note of wide players, Raheem Sterling got the nod again, and I think the question mark is obviously, is it going to be? Sterling or Grealish and he went with Sterling again I assume you are not a fan of that decision I would have been I uh, yeah I would have started Grealish I I think Foden's a good player but I wouldn't have been outraged if Sterling had have started on the right um I think you drew on it last episode with um with James not James sorry where's that come from with Cherney and uh Robertson as their left centre-back and left wing-back. They put they pushed very high, very well. I thought, actually, both of them played quite well. Um, but there was a lot of space there, and we just didn't exploit it at all. There was, like, constantly, there was just this little pocket of space in behind, and Sterling was on the other side. Mm. And I think the reasons that we, well, we've been more positive to towards start, the idea of starting Sterling than I think a lot of fans mm. have. But kind of, that the main defence for that is he does run into those spaces. He stretches teams. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of... I know that he's a lot better on the left than he is the right. But it's kind of baffling to me why you would... You've got one, say, proper winger in the squad, really. Which is him. And you play him on the side where they're not pushing up and they're quite compact. And there's just not not much space or options for him to do anything. And then as a result, I think he had quite a poor game because he didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. I think... I understand Southgate's desire to have a more traditional winger and to get that balance a, a, a bit right to have, you know, it's one creative player and Sterling. You know, it's a Foden or a Grealish and Sterling. But as you say, there, there was no space in behind on that left-hand side. Scotland were very compact down there. So Sterling was actually getting the ball to feet and trying to drive at people. And that isn't necessary. Like, if, you, if you've got him doing that, you might as well just have Grealish on the pitch. I, I personally think that 
the bigger crime than starting Sterling or leaving Sterling on was taking Foden off. Like, why on earth are you taking Phil Foden off? I mean, he was the only one that seemed to be... Every single time Phil Foden got the ball, you thought, actually, something might happen here. And also, because the space was in behind Turney and Robertson on Scotland's left-hand side, our right-hand side, it was actually Foden that was running in behind, not Sterling. So why not just leave him to do that? He was varying his game really nicely. He was getting in behind. He was exploiting that space. So just let him do that, because that's what Foden gives you, is a bit, quite a lot of balance, I think. For a player that isn't really a winger, in, in, in that he has come through and he predominantly was going to be a midfield player for City and then Guardiola started playing him out on the wing because that just gave him a little bit more space to do his creative stuff. I think he'll probably end up playing more centrally when he gets a bit older. Um, we'll see um, whether he kind of ends up kind of similar to, not necessarily in quality, but in terms of flexibility to like someone like Messi where you just kind of give him a bit of a free roll. Greedish is a little bit like that as well. He nominally is a winger but comes inside a lot and you just kind of let let those sort of players do their thing but Foden was quite disciplined he, he saw that space and he was hitting that space as well so do you really need Sterling I I that that was that was baffling I just feel like it wasn't just starting Sterling it was he started Sterling because he wanted to play in the same way against Scotland as to how we did against Croatia and that was chipping balls sort of down the line into that left channel and there was no space in behind Scotland because they were a bank of five and they were keeping it really really tight not not to be unfair to Scotland because they didn't sort of just park the bus all, all like sort of evening long but they did sit deep and they did make it difficult for us to break through them and we just kept chipping balls into the channel and just it would just run out for a goal kick or to the keeper or the defender would clear it up just constantly and that is not the way you're going to beat a team like that you need players to get on the ball and drive at teams and you need to move the ball a lot quicker we were so slow in build up which is look that's what we do because if we have the ball the opposition can't score that is a big sort of I think fundamental ideology of how Southgate plays I think he wants to keep the ball and build up slowly because the longer we have the ball the less opportunities the opposition can have to score but if you're going to break a team like Scotland down you need to believe that you can beat them you need to believe that you've got the better attacking players and that actually you can throw the kitchen sink at it because I think if you throw the kitchen sink at Scotland and start just trying to play the ball around a lot quicker, try and make more aggressive passes, take some risks with all your attacking talent on the pitch, you can beat Scotland 3-4-0. Also, you might concede, but you might win 4-1. I think, and I think that... Well, exactly, and I think that you need to. We need to take some more risk because we've got the players to do it. And I think Sterling was just another example of just Southgate just being a little bit too conservative when you can when you can take a risk against teams like Scotland. I mean, with all due respect, I think Scotland have looked good in both of those games, both both of their games. I mean, in the group stage, but we should, you know, we should have been winning that game, man for man on the paper, uh, like man for man on paper. We have a far superior squad. And some of the attacking talent that just didn't get, even get a look in. I mean, where was Sancho? How was Sancho not getting an opportunity against Scotland when it's nil-nil going into the last 15 minutes? It It's bizarre to me. It is bizarre to me. Yeah, and I, did, I just... He, he brought Greenish on fairly late as well. I kind of thought 
I thought Grealish might get a few more minutes. He's not... I don't know, he's not the sort of... He's a really, really great player, but he's not a a throw him on and hope. He's not a sort of pacey run at people. Well, he he runs at people, but he's not... He's not that, like, he's not going to be stretching teams sort of late on. He's not, like, he's not going to be benefiting against, like, tired defenders as sort of... As I think probably Raheem Sterling would coming off the bench, to be fair. If we'd have had Grealish on that left side to start with and then brought Sterling on... Mm. Then Sterling's rapid, um, full of stamina, and the, against a bit of a tiring Scottish defence would probably have been the better way around to do it. Yeah. Um, I think it was interesting that Rashford got brought on as mm. a striker, because we kind of alluded to it when we were talking about the squads that we thought Southgate was taking Rashford as a striker, because that was kind of the only justification we could see for him not bringing uh, Bamford. Or Watkins. Who, or, yeah, or Watkins. Who, um, ironically, I think Bamford would have been <laughs> the perfect sub for Kane last night. Quite irritatingly. Not last night, Sunday. The, the Friday. Yeah, I do have that in my notes, actually. Because <laughs> I, I, well, let's look. Let, let's start there. What's wrong with Kane? Kane's not fit, is he? I mean, what was that? He, he, he looks like he's in pain. Like, his languid running style, he looks to be really struggling. He... We've, well, Southgate shot us in the foot with him because we don't have another option. Mm-hmm. Calvert-Lewin cannot start. That can't happen because that puts us on 10 men. When whether, whether that be when we're pressing or defending, we're on 10 men. Calvert-Lewin doesn't do either of those things. Um, and they're two things that are fairly fundamental to the way we play you kind of you can't you can't be carrying someone you can't just be carrying a a sit up front and wait for the ball to come to be played that's not how England play I think Calvert-Lewin's a really good player Um, he's great for Everton but not remotely what England need Rashford he's not a striker is he I I, I don't care that Southgate thinks he is he hasn't played striker for I I don't know if he's played striker he has has played striker for Man United Mm. this season but not not often. That is not his position. He he sort of he, he can fill in there, so he certainly wouldn't be starting him. Which leaves us with Kane because we don't have any other striking options. Mm-hmm. So you have to start Kane. Um, and Kane's obviously he is the best player in the world in that position. Him him or Lewandowski. But if he's yeah, like you say, if he's not fully fit or if he's not fitting the system, we we need to have an option to rotate mm-hmm. him. Which is, I said on the last episode about the, the media sort of questioning, oh, should we be starting Kane in a quite an aggressive, negative way? It's not It's not that. That's not what I'm saying. He absolutely is, like, as talented and should be in the side. But there should be a way to keep him in the side. It shouldn't just be have him there for the sake of it. Um, there were quite a few points. He just, I don't think he knows where to be in the system that well, I, I don't know if he's, he don't doesn't know or if he's not fit, like you say, but he just he's he's either by the halfway line and then gets the ball and has no one to play it forward to, or he's up front and no one plays in the ball because he's massively isolated, mm. which is kind of which is exactly why if we brought Calvert Lewin in, that's not a solution because we'd have the exact same problem there, except without the dropping back, we yeah. just have him permanently isolated. Mm. Yeah. Which is why we need 
Bamford or a Watkins. <laughs> no, I mean the the issue with Kane, Kane to me looks he looks really slow. He looks like he's struggling. As you say, when he drops deep, it's been fairly ineffective because when he drops deep for Spurs and turns and there's Son bombing on against a team that's already stretched because they're on the counter-attack, that works. But when he drops deep and he picks up the ball and turns and he's got Scotland's midfield three and then a bank of five in front of him, what is the point in you dropping back? You, you know, you're not you're not actually then able to use your range of passing or create anything. He just then ends up playing it out wide to a, a fullback and then just sort of trotting upfield again. But there's a couple of occasions where he did get in behind, you know, a couple of balls over the top and he looked like he was really struggling. And when we spoke about the squads, I I said that I would take Bamford even over Calvert-Lewin because I don't want a striker that you're thinking, well, we'll take him because maybe we'll throw him on in the last 10 minutes of the game and just start sort of throwing crosses into the box and hope he gets his head on something. I want a striker that can realistically come in for an injured Kane. Right now, it looks like Kane might be injured. And Southgate's already shown his hand here and clearly doesn't trust Calvert-Lewin as the understudy to Kane because otherwise he would have come on against Scotland, surely. I mean, I, I, why are you putting Rashford on? if you've got Calvert-Lewin as a viable striker. Absolutely, striking, striking it shows Calvert-Lewin's third-choice striker. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I I, I don't understand it, because I, I think probably I would have put Calvert-Lewin on over Rashford against Scotland. I, I don't. Rashford's not a nine. That has consistently been shown that Rashford is not a nine. But the biggest issue with Kane yesterday is, look, Kane isn't the most proficient presser of the ball. He, he was fairly good at it under Pochettino, but it's not sort of his greatest attribute. But Scotland, Scotland, if I'm looking at their weaknesses, they have they like to play out from the back and they're not particularly great at it. So you want to press them high and aggressively. Which, by the way, against both Croatia and Scotland, we pressed high and aggressively for the first 10 minutes of each half and we looked very, very good and then we just stopped doing it. Stopped. For no reason at all. Just completely stopped it. And I cannot understand why we would do something that's so clearly working and then just stop doing it. No, and I, I understand. So, with just on the pressing, I understand you cannot press that intensely the whole game. The players simply aren't fit enough. That's not how <laughs> humans work. You can't be sprinting tell, the tell full that, ninety minutes. Tell that to be else. But well, <laughs> but you you choose your moments, and your moments are not just for ten minutes no. at the start of each half. No, 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 you no, split no. it up, and you have a bit of sort of possession, or you let you sit off for a little bit. Maybe let them have some just sort of when they're passing it around the back, but. Like when when the pressing works and you can, yeah, I, I'm not having that those players can only press for ten minutes and then aren't fit enough to press for the rest of the game. I, I don't believe that. Yeah. So it's a clear tactical decision, and I yeah. just I can't fathom why. Yeah, you can absolutely press for longer than twenty minutes, and particularly against a team like Scotland, that's clearly their weakness. Particularly down that left hand side, you've got um, o- O'Connell and uh, it was McTominay as the right centre back, yeah. but. Both, both, both of which can be pressed, and o- O'Connell in particular does not want the ball, and so you've got to be pressing high, and you've got to be exploiting that left channel and having players run at those two, and we didn't do that because we played Sterling and Kane can't press. So I, I, I wish Bamford had been there because I just think you put him on and he's going to press the team into oblivion. He's going to run hard. And I think that that's where we could have got a chance is basically turning the ball over high. We did it a couple of times. It, Sterling did it actually. He won the he won the ball off McCominay actually. Um, 
that's how I nipped in and got him behind. And you think that's how we go. That's how you break down a low block that want to play out from the back because they're, they're going to sit deep. So you're going to struggle to break them down when you're transitioning. But if you can take the ball off them while they're playing out, then you've turned the ball over in a really dangerous position. And I think that was going to, that's how we're going to exploit it. On, on the point of pressing, one of our best pressers is Mason Mount. And Mason Mount felt pretty sort of very quiet against Scotland. I don't know what you thought. I, I don't remember him having doing anything of note and not having a... I don't really remember him having much to say at all, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think he's a very good player. There's not me slagging Mason Mount off, but he, he didn't influence the game and anywhere near as much as he did against Croatia. And even even against Croatia, he wasn't. It wasn't like he was creating chances left, right, and centre. But he he was he was involved. I don't. He and Phillips kind of played completely differently um, against Scotland, which and in the ways they played differently, Phillips say struggled getting up as high as he did against Croatia, which I find quite surprising because Croatia are the one with the three man midfield. To me, like logically. It'll, be the other way around that like Phillips thrives against Scotland so I like I really I don't know what's gone wrong there with that midfield pairing it seemed to me I don't think Phillips just decided to be slightly less progressive against Scotland mm. I think he did have less opportunities but I it, it seemed to me that he was told to be a little bit more conservative I think because of with with Croatia yeah they, they have that three-man fit midfielder Brozovic uh, Kovacic and Modric but you know Modric likes to drop quite deep alongside Brozovic to get on the ball so therefore you kind of naturally push another like Phillips can push up onto that and sort of try and um, press higher so then it looks a bit more aggressive and we end up looking a bit more like uh, Rice at the base with then Phillips and Ma- uh, Mount ahead of him but against Scotland it was Gilmore alone as the kind of pivot with then um it was McGinn and the the other midfield player for Scotland. So therefore, he he was sort of forced a bit further back and seemed to have been told to stay a little bit more alongside Rice. But the issue is, is that against Croatia, because Phillips was pushing really high, Mount was drifting into those left half spaces a lot um, to kind of fill in the gap of where Sterling had left when he was bombing in behind, making those blindside runs behind centre-backs to kind of occupy that left space. And that, that looked really balanced. But Mount continued to do that in this game, despite the fact that nobody was occupying the central area. So therefore, Billy Gilmore, who, by the way, had a, had a terrific game. He looked very, very good in that um, holding role for Scotland. But he just had free range. Like, he could just pick up the ball and dictate play. And that's why he looked so good. But that's Mount's job. Mount is our, nominally, he's our number 10. He should be harassing their number 6 into oblivion. And that was Billy Gilmore. Who, as I say, good player, but let's be honest, he's a 20-year-old who's got 261 minutes in the Premier League this past season. Mount should be destroying him. Get on him, mm-hmm. harass him. He's young, he's fragile. Press him into oblivion. Make him feel uncomfortable. You should be asserting yourself over that sort of a player, and we should be turning the ball over from him. The few times we did press them really high and aggressively, we turned the ball over. So do it more often. Like That was how we were going to get joy. Get Phillips pushing up higher. You know, be more aggressive. Everything we did was so conservative. And it was such a shame. 
And I think Mount Mount really needs to. Well, I don't know whether it's his fault actually, because I imagine he's being told to do certain things. But he can't be sort of sat out on the left hand side when their number six is just sort of spreading passes as much as they want. I mean, he's got to be more aggressive. I do think that will be better against um, the Czech Republic because they tend to play with a uh, a pivot of Sujek and Kraut. So I do think, therefore, Mount and Phillips will be able to push up a little bit higher with Rice then occupying their number 10. Um, that that should be a better balance and it will just make us look a bit more aggressive. It kind of fits our system a bit more naturally, sort of man for man. I, I, I'm a bit disappointed in Mount because I think Mount's a great player. And as I say, I don't think it's his fault, but I think Southgate needs to start using him more effectively. Yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> Completely. Yeah, have we got have we got anything else to say on England? I think that's just about covered England. There's not there's not masses to say. <laughs> you yeah. can say else is just fairly boring, hopefully should do well against the Czech Republic. Oh just just quickly I presume you're you have the same stance as me on this. I've seen some people comparing the Czech Republic game to the Belgium game in the 2018 World Cup after France drew yesterday because France could very well end up finishing second in their group now. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, win the game. Don't look at other groups. Don't think about, ooh, let's get ourselves the easiest run. Win the game. And you, you have to beat the best teams to win the tournament. Don't don't piss around going oh it wouldn't be too bad if we lose like just get out there and win the game and shut any like doubters up go into the next few games with confidence that's uh, I, I, I don't know what your stance is on it yeah no I, I agree I also think that um, France will finish top of the group anyway because um, they are currently top and they've got to go and play Portugal who I think will leave a lot of spaces for them I think we just saw that Germany managed to exploit them um, quite heavily getting in behind them so I think that actually France will get quite a bit of joy there. I think they'll also concede. I think it'll be a similar game to that Portugal-Germany game. Unless unless Portugal try and adapt a little bit to um, be a little bit more defensively solid as a result, of, like in a reaction to that Germany game. Um, but that, I tell you what, that group's wide open. I mean, I, like, love, love to see Hungary managing to just sort of nick I that point. I really enjoy it. Because it just makes things interesting because Hungary now go, they go and play uh, Germany don't they and if um, they win they qualify yeah so and I mean we'll talk well I think we'll talk a little bit more about Germany in a second but um, they they are looking good as well which I did not anticipate I think um, no not but yeah I, in terms of your point I'm, I'm, I'm the same I, I don't think you can sort of waste your time thinking about what might happen if you finish first or second just go and win your game the rest of it will take care of itself if we have to play France then we have to play France and we have to go and beat France. Yeah. Um, we have to knock them out if someone or yeah. someone someone has to knock them out if we don't if we want to win 100%, it. Like, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, and to be honest with you, who, whichever of those we play, it's not going to be an easy game. Um, no. You just got to just got to deal with it. But yeah, so I agree. Just go out there and try and try and win the game. You can't be fannying around. Um, right, should we move on to the other stuff then? So, we're going to mm. take the same approach as we did the end of the last game week where we talk about our favourite game favourite individual performance biggest surprise and biggest disappointment so let's start with favourite game which one are you going for I'm going to be boring I'm going to go for the Portugal-Germany game yesterday just because there were great game great game 
lots of goals, a couple of own goals, which I love. Lo- uh, it was the first time that two own goals have been scored in the same match in Euros history, which I was quite surprised at. Mm-hmm. I'm going to drop any any time we go have a goal an own goals discussion. I'm going to have to drop the my favourite stat to do with own goals is there's only one side to have conceded three own goals in a match in Premier League history, mm. and they've done it twice. Can you guess who? <laughs> is it Sunderland? It is, yeah. yeah nice. It's just a very, very Sunderland record to hold. Um, yeah, uh, Ronaldo scored, obviously, so he got to take a bit of the glory, as he always loves, um, just, just to start with, until they decided to just mm. capitulate. Um, Germany looked really, really solid, though. Mm. And I think we were both fairly dismissive of them before the tournament. Um, was sort of, they, 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 they were the third favourites for us in that group. As sort of, if anyone was going to slip below Hungary, it would be Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've looked really dangerous. I still, I still question playing Gnabry up front because I don't, think that's his best role um, but also when your alternative is Werner I'm, I'm not a huge fan on him um, I think he, if he could finish he'd be like the best player in the world but he doesn't, he, he's, his positioning and his pressing is phenomenal he just can't can't score, it's baffling um, but they that, that back three looks really solid um, well uh, Ginter, 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 Ginter pushes forward um, very well. Actually, from the back, puts quite a few good crosses in, um, which I like. I like sort of one of the two centre half, the two wide centre halves uh, pushing up. I do like that. Um, yeah, did you catch it? Yes, no, I did watch it, and it was uh, an excellent game. I think, I, I, I think the. Con- not just our concern, I think the general concern about what Germany would be this tournament was completely uh, like well-founded. I think that back three, I mean, Rudiger's a very good player, Ginter fairly unproven, Hummel's very old, and then you're ending up pushing Kimmich out to a right-wing back position, which is, he's very capable of playing as a full-back, but he's probably the best holding midfield player in the world, so do you not want him to play there? And then you've got that, yeah, that kind of strange sort of front three that's very fluid but you haven't got a lot of width there so how's that going to work with like sort of Havertz and Muller just sort of playing in behind as you say Nabry um, what does that exactly mean I agree with you about Werner but he isn't he's not a nine he's either a second striker or you've got to play him wide because he can't occupy a line by himself it's just not really his game uh, which is completely fair enough he's, he's very good at stretching teams and getting in behind he makes very intelligent runs but yeah he's just not a good enough finisher can't hold the ball up he's not great with his back to back to goal so you couldn't play him there but neither are any of these but Muller ended up shifting quite a lot central uh, when they were pressing you'd quite often have Muller sort of drop off into the number 10 role almost and then Nabry and Havertz would sort of play as split strikers and press the centre-backs like that, which is a really effective way of pressing a back three. Portugal can kind of do and build up. They can drop one of their holding field players in. But they were sort of, they were even just doing it against a two-man Portugal defence, which causes quite a lot of problems for um, Diaz, who I think struggled yesterday. It's, it's, a, it's a bizarre one, because I think you look at, you look at the centre-back options for Portugal and you do see some problems. I think Ruben Diaz has always 
looked very susceptible to not being a very good centre-back when there's a lot of open space behind him. Um, he's benefited an awful lot from Pep's change of defensive structure this season. Obviously, a lot of people have assigned him as a great sign in the signing of the season. And he has been excellent for City. But he's also benefited a lot from how Pep has sort of changed how uh, City defend, most notably sort of like the wing-backs inverting and defending, uh, like sort of uh, protecting their centre-backs a lot more. Um, but he he was actually just really poor, like positionally. I thought yesterday sort of caught out position, and that's sort of what ends up happening with the own goal that he ended up scoring. He's just kind of in the wrong position. And then obviously the other issue is um, Pepe and Font are very old and slow. But to be honest with you, that wasn't really the issue yesterday. It was mostly just that they just didn't get their positioning right, which is such a shame for and it, it was Pepe obviously yesterday. For such an experienced defender, mm. look, if he gets caught in behind because he just can't quite keep up, fair enough. But if you're going to get caught out of position in the box and just let people sort of float through, I mean, you can't you can't concede that many goals. Basically, just a ball fizzed across your six yard box, and either tapped in or conceding an own goal because you're trying to clear it. You need to get your positioning better. You need to be cutting out those crosses earlier. So that that was disappointing from Portugal because I just think that's poor concentration from. Two, you know, experienced centre backs, um, but on Germany, they didn't look great against. Fr- well, they looked better than expected against France, but as expected, Gosens and Kimmich were not providing the whips that you would ideally want against um, Portugal. They were excellent at that. They were getting really high and wide. Gosens, in particular, he got a goal, and I think he got he got the assist for Havertz, and then I think maybe both, uh, at least one of the assists for the own goal. I mean, he won't yeah. be subscribed an assist, obviously. For he that, definitely but... crossed that one in that Diaz yeah. Yeah. tapped in. Yeah. So that that's, I mean, that's officially one assist and one goal, but it could have been two or three assists and one goal if, if it wasn't the own goals. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a great that's game. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. He had an absolutely excellent game. Finally, you know, finally Germany actually getting their wing backs a lot higher to provide that width because obviously Muller and Havertz aren't going to provide the width from those sort of like free eight inside forward roles that they're sort of playing there. Um, but yeah, I, I just re- really impressive from Germany, particularly because the other worry I had was playing those two midfield players. You're leaving out uh, Goretzka. You're not playing Kimmich in the midfield. You know, you, you've got a lot of midfield options that you're just not playing by only playing a sort of two two midfield players like that. But it's working, and fair play to him. Yeah, just on on um, Pepe, you mentioned it about him pushing, well, being out of position. There was a point I can I completely agree. There was a point um, I can't remember if it was in the first or the second half, but I th- he pushed up really really high and it sort of come out of nowhere um, and crossed. I think a reasonable cross back into the box. I can't remember. And the commentators were just shocked. They were like, oh, it's Pepe up. Like, look at him really leading from the front, dragging his team back in. And I was like, yeah, but he, he's playing in a two and he's yeah. the, the slow centre-back who can't get yeah. back here. I wouldn't I wouldn't be too quick to praise him for being up that high because yeah. <laughs> when they're conceding. No. 100%. 100%. It's not, it's not his job. And you can end up looking at very, very silly uh, if you're not careful. But yeah, I guess uh, my, my favourite game um, I also really enjoyed that game obviously just goal fest but I really enjoyed the Denmark-Belgium game mm-hmm. De- Denmark sort of changed how they set up so they matched Belgium's 3-4-3 three, three, or 3-4-2-1 three, 
more so. Um, and Denmark looked incredible that first half. Really aggressive. Belgium weren't having a sniff. Obviously, Poulsen scored that goal early on from a from just pressing really high, nicking in, uh, nipping in, and taking the ball, um, and then scoring a great finish. And uh, Denmark should have added to that one goal lead, and I think they would have made it really difficult for Belgium to come back if they had scored a second. But that that was phenomenal. But then also, I, what else I loved about that game was that sort of tactical matchup, the change that Denmark made, but then also the changes that um, Belgium made, substitute-wise, bringing on Hazard and, in particular, De Bruyne, and yeah. just how much that changed the game. What they player. completely, completely started dominating. And, I, I mean, what a performance from Kevin De Bruyne. And that that's just what, a joyful moment. I mean, he's just so much fun to watch and watch him all day long. Just one of those players. Um, I mean, everything he does looks absolutely effortless. Whether it's like banging a goal from thirty yards or like yeah. playing inch perfect pass between two defenders, 100%. he just he just looks like he's not trying. Yeah, it, it's madness. I mean, that that left footed goal was unbelievable from outside the box. But then, particularly that assist where he sort of took that touch that just took two players completely out of the game, and then just yeah, just slid that ball across the box for a tap in for. Um, who was it? Uh, it was Turgen Hazard that got the tap in there. Um, yeah, just just absolutely brilliant, um, and that that was great fun. I was disappointed that Denmark didn't manage to get something out of the game because I just, mm-hmm. particularly given what they've all gone through and how well they played, I just think that was what that was more what I expected from Denmark this tournament. Um, so it was a shame they didn't get something out of that result because now it it looks a long way back for them to get to get through the group, but. Excellent game, and it, it was really a sort of lesson in how individual players or just a couple of tactical tweaks with certain players can just change a game. Like, just flip it on its head, and suddenly, second half, Belgium just looked far, far, far superior. Also, good to see Hazard play very well. I only caught the second half, I can't remember what I was doing, I missed the first half. Um, so, literally, just saw that De Bruyne masterclass when you were saying, like, oh. Denmark played really well. <laughs> sort yeah. of like, did they went? When was yeah. that? Oh, the, yeah, yeah, I didn't see the first half. Yeah, the half you missed, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, De Bruyne, though, just, I can't. I just love him. He's so, like, he's one of those players who, no matter who you support, like, he's just so enjoyable to watch. Mm. Like, I, I don't know. I, he, he's one of the players who I'd be most scared of facing, yeah. like, opposition wise. Because, like, what can you do? If you, if you press him, he'll bring it round you. If you sit off him, he'll just pass it into the box. Mm. Like, there isn't... He's one of those who's just so hard to defend. And he's completely two-footed as well. It's not like you can go, oh, we'll send him on his left and he'll be mm. fine. Because he, well, he scored from that <laughs> far out. Uh, like, he's just unreal. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's just, yeah, it's just one of those players you just got to gotta watch and enjoy. Um, what about favourite individual performance, then? Gareth Bale, for me. Okay. Um, I thought, regardless... Anyone can miss a penalty, it happens. Mm. Um, I just thought he was he just he controlled the game everything that Wales did came through him he got that I can't I think it was the assist to Ramsey or it was mm. he just played like this looping ball over the top inch perfect that essentially gave Ramsey a really easy finish yeah. Ramsey missed quite a few chances actually mm-hmm. it was quite good for him that he scored yeah Bale was just sort of running at players playing really good balls and um, really enjoying his football, which it doesn't—he he doesn't do very often. No, that's very um, true. He seems to like—he seems—he just seems to hate his job uh, <laughs> most of the time. But like, loves playing for Wales. 
Yeah, I just thought he was absolutely superb. Yeah, he was cracking. That was a good performance from Wales against Turkey. Um, he did seem to sort of realise that he could influence the game just a little bit differently by coming centre a lot and just pinging those passes. And um, fair play to Ramsey. He's one of my choices, actually, for favourite individual performance because those runs that he was making... I mean, fair play Gareth Bale, and I mean, he was he was incredible, but... You've got you you've got to have have that player making that run to begin with, and from a number ten position, he was constantly making those runs beyond um, keeper Moore, wasn't it? Playing as the nine, um, and that yeah. was that was just excellent. And yeah, as you say, he could he could have had he could have had a hat trick, Ramsey. Like he he had legitimately you know three very very good chances. Bale was very very good, and Wales are, are looking like a strong outfit. So yeah, as I say, either for, for me, individual performance, either either Ramsey, but I think I would I would go with one of um Gosens or De Bruyne from Germany and Belgium respectively. Yeah. I think both of them just I, I, I'm really glad to see Gosens kind of actually provide the width a lot more for Germany and create a lot of um chances for them. And the way De Bruyne just managed to completely flip a game was unbelievable. So I'm gonna go with De Bruyne because I think I just enjoyed watching him a little bit more. Um, he's my favourite individual performance but my biggest surprise I think was other than Germany looking very very good was actually Wales Um, I think my biggest surprise Mm -hmm. is Wales who managed to sneak through with a draw against Switzerland they were not great against a pretty poor Swiss side but against Turkey they looked easily the better side and hammered them really and should you know should have as we say I think Ramsey could have had three. Bale obviously should have scored a penalty. Um, so they, it could have it could have it could have been a lot worse for Turkey. Uh, I thought Wales were terrific. Mm. Yeah, and it's and it says a lot that the Italy Wales game now, like it, that's to decide who tops the group. That's not that's mm. not to qualify. Unbelievable, isn't it? Because because I think Switzerland. Oh, I got Switzerland are at their three points behind Wales, and the ranking system within the groups is really unnecessarily confusing. I finally got my head around it this morning, but I think I think Wales are pretty much through. Surely there, there needs to be what like a five goal swing or something. It's um, not quite so. It's not right. Here we go. In fact, I'll, I'll read you out. I figured okay. this out this morning. It's re- really just unnecessarily complicated. So, in the ranking, it goes. It's head to head. Oh, yeah. Between the teams. And this, so this could be two, three, or four teams. Then right. it's goal difference, but just specifically in the games played between the teams. So if okay. that's two teams, it's just head to head again. But yeah. kind of makes sense for three or four. Um, then for goals scored, but then it goes to goals scored, but just between the teams that they are. So the two, three, or four. Okay, yeah. Um, then it goes to goal difference overall. Then it goes to goals scored overall. Okay. Just so basically, basically, okay. if it, if it, if it's two, if it's two or four, then it's just head-to-head goal difference, goal scored. But if it's three, then it's that like complicated and unnecessarily complicated for me. I don't really understand yeah. should, why yeah. you can't just pick that pick goal that, difference or head-to-head. That is complicated. So I guess for Wales Switzerland, if Wales lose to Italy and Switzerland beat Turkey, so they're level on points. The head-to-head becomes moot because they drew and scored the same amount of goals, obviously, in that game against each other. Yeah. So then it goes on to overall uh, goal difference. 
which Wales yes. should should win. So it'd be I, quite I, a big swing. For so Wales the point. So like my, even though I was ill informed, my point still stands. There needs to be a, <laughs> there needs to be a five goal yeah. swing. So I was right. Yeah. <laughs> just not. You were. Yeah. Just actually. not intentionally. Okay. So they just. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So, right, there needs to be a five goal swing. For, I'll cut all that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one will know. <laughs> um, no, I'll leave that in actually because that's quite a useful explanation. Well done, Callum. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think Wales are. I, they look very much like they're through, don't they? And uh, deservedly so. I think they've been very, very good. And I think that Italy game will be interesting because I'm excited to see whether Dan James can maybe just stretch that Italy defence a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if Chiellini's going to be fit but even Bonucci old, slow are they going to be able to deal, deal with Dan James because I mean that, that boy is just wheels just absolute wheels that's all he's got he can't pass for <laughs> shit but he he, he, runs, he runs very very quick so that would be well, exciting <laughs> exactly, exactly. Who, by the way, actually, on Adama Traore, why have Spain not brought him on in any of their games when he's exactly what they've been crying out That's for in both of them? a very good point. I actually, I was torn between, uh, this brings us to the next question, because I was torn between Croatia and Spain as my biggest disappointments. And yeah. I think I am so bored of watching Spain. Mm. They, they, they're just, they keep, they keep possession really, really well. But they're one of those. It's possession for possession's sake. Like, they other don't than, do anything. Other than keeping the ball off the opposition, they are doing absolutely nothing with the ball. It's so it's so disappointing because they have some great players. And as you say, why on earth are you not bringing Adama Traore on? Particularly particularly in the um, in their last game against Sweden, you need to break down a low block, and you're not bringing on the best dribbler in the world. Like he consistently just beats men. So why why are you not giving him a go? Particularly when you're playing, you know, you've got you know, good players, but Ferran Torres and Gerard Moreno playing wide. Gerard Moreno isn't really a winger. Um, and Ferran Torres is a third, fourth choice winger at Man City, so hasn't exactly got loads of game time. And he's been a goal threat for Spain previously, but he hasn't really done too much... Uh, this this tournament so far. So why why are you not giving um, Traore a go? I don't really understand it. I'm shocked he hasn't he's, got any minutes yet. No, he's the one on the bench who's like completely different to everything else they have, and he really will run at those teams and stretch them. And especially, I'd say, well, against Poland, they've got a relatively slow back three with sort of Bednarek and Glick on the right hand on the their left so Spain's right mm. if you put Triori on on that wing running at them like sure surely that you just shit yourself because he is he's one of those players who no matter no matter who you are as a defender whether you're like John Terry or, or some like, League One defender you're terrified of him mm. like running 100%. at you with that pace 100% yeah uh, I, a bit I baffling think, I think Triore must be to Spain fans what Grealish is to English fans just mm. absolutely clamouring for him to get some minutes. Sure, surely they want to see him yeah. come. Just change a game. Just do something different. It's such a shame because also I think what's interesting. Spain, Spain haven't been awful by any stretch of the imagination, but they are sleepwalking into going out of this group. Mm-hmm. It, and in equal measure, actually, Sweden are sleepwalking into <coughs> getting out, getting out of the group in first place. They Sweden have not been good at all. But no. they got a nil-nil draw against Spain, and they got a penalty in their second game against uh, Slovakia. So, and that that won the game. So, 
they were about to walk through the group and they've been absolute dross as well. So, Spain needs to Yeah, Spain have to win, don't they? They need to win a game. I mean... Because there's no way they... There's no way you'd go through as one of the best third place teams with three draws. No. You, would, you wouldn't have thought so, would you? You wouldn't have thought so. I mean, the three points might get you into discussion, but yeah, with all of that system and how it works, I, I can't see that being enough to... If they've... You know, particularly if they've scored one goal. Like... Yeah. You, you're going to struggle, aren't you? Um, but... That's that. So that is that. They they have been disappointing. They have been disappointing. Who was who's your biggest disappointment? Uh, my biggest disappointment was England. Just as a as yeah, a fair an England fan, it was just really disappointing. And my oh my uh, biggest surprise didn't do that. My biggest surprise oh. was Hungary. Um, oh, yeah, because I think I think everyone would have loved them to not lose every game. They're sort of everyone's like little underdog within that mm. group. Certainly, everyone want like the, the ideal scenario is Hungary come out win every game and top that group. Like that, that's what Absolutely. everyone secretly wanted, um, but I thought they—they they were obviously pressed back, and France were the better side. But that first half certainly, they didn't look terrible. They like they—they no. they deserved the goal. Um, mm. They were—they were still like, I think, on the like overall balance of the game, France probably deserved to win it, but they didn't. And Hungary defended pretty resolutely. They were quite determined um, and looked fairly solid. I'm quite. Quite interested to see the game against um, who they got Germany against Germany. Germany yeah, that'll yeah. be a really interesting one. I think it will be because I th- actually do think they'll cause Germany more problems than Portugal did in terms of like in a defensive sense. I don't think Germany will have mm-hmm. as much to uh, as much sort of space to operate in, and I think we also saw that Hungary can sort of, you know, just go up and nick a goal if you're not careful. You know, they managed, they managed to do a number on France. Look, France, France probably should have won that game. They created enough. But, you know, that's what happens when a side like Hungary frustrates you, nicks a goal and sits really deep. You know, that's the sort of result you can get. So they'll be they'll be going to Germany to try and spoil that party for sure. So that'll be exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing how that group ends up because there's quite a few groups that are just wide open. I'm really excited to see what happens. Right, well... Yeah, no. I, I, no, was, no, I yes. wasn't going to add anything of note, don't worry. <laughs> okay, well, I guess <laughs> we are probably done then, aren't we? Mm. Unless you've got anything to add. So... No. no. So we will be back in the next few days to discuss yeah, what? the final game week of the group stage. We'll be... So it's some, we'll, we'll, we'll put a pod out sometime between that final game and the 26th when the round of 16 starts yeah. so you'll have you might have a, a couple of days of football withdrawal but you'll have yeah. us to get you through it absolutely yeah so yeah uh, we'll probably probably put the podcast podcast out on the Friday so that's the 25th isn't it so that just gives mm-hmm. us a bit of time to record it on the Thursday or the Friday and we'll get that out um, and yeah we'll just we'll do a bit of a preview of the uh, round of 16 as well I think we'll see what the uh, the matchups are and then give a recount of the the final game week as well. It should be an exciting one. Um, but thank you very much for listening to this episode. Uh, where can they check us out on social media, Cal? We are at EAFC underscore podcast on um, Twitter, where uh, everyone's a football critic on Facebook. There's no no brackets on Facebook because they, they won't let us have that. Um, Facebook hates fun. 
Yeah, if you go if you go on boat, either of those has the link to our yeah. ACAS profile, which has where you can watch or listen to all of them, which presumably you figured out by now if you've got this far. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah if, if you're listening. But yeah, te- te- tell a friend if you think someone will be interesting. Like, rate, all of these things help engage with whatever it is. Uh, super appreciate it. Um, but yeah, thank you for listening to this one. Hopefully you are enjoying these podcasts. We're having a lot of fun doing them. Um, and hopefully England can go and beat the Czech Republic on Tuesday. Yeah, or should we do a quick score prediction? Was Oh yeah, we do need to do that, don't we? Um, oh mate, honestly. Uh, I'm going to say 1-0 England. I was also going to say 1-0. I'm not even going to go like be funky no. and go different. I'm going to back 1-0. I think we're going to be done again, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, but hopefully score this time. We'll see. Yeah, hopefully. Calvin Phillips, screamer. Let's go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> thank, you, thank you very much for listening to this one. We'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. Bye.